Everyone to episode 42 of Some Like It Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and this week on the podcast, we're returning to normal after last week's MCU retrospective with a review of what some are calling the best live action movie adaptation of a video game of all time. But before we get to any of that, with me, as always, I have my co host, Scott Harvey. Scott, listeners might be able to quickly cotton on that we are in person for this podcast, but how have you been doing? 2L is through L, and you're enjoying a well deserved break before your summer begins. Yeah, thank you for saying it's well-deserved. I think it is well-deserved. But yeah, I'm just really marveling at that intro to the movie, saying that it may be the best live-action movie based on a video game. It's just a lot of qualifiers. And at a certain point, I think when you get into that many qualifiers, uh, you're getting into dangerous territory a little bit. And it is probably a little bit of a low bar. But I guess we'll discuss whether it uh, you know, jumps over that admittedly low bar. But Yes, doing well. Happy to be here in person recording this so that my voice uh, sounds just as clear as yours. Because even though, even since we have switched to Zencaster, I have had people say, your voice still isn't as clear as Scott's. People really say that? Yeah, a couple people have told me that, yeah. Well, not to at you or anything. <laughs> I mean, it's like, for me, it's not even comparable because it's so much better than what it used to be. Well, it's yeah, not even close. The difference is negligible, but if yeah. you're listening for it, you can notice sure. it. But you won't notice it on this episode. No, you won't. We should sound the same unless Scott goes hoarse in the middle of this episode. <laughs> it's possible. All right, Scott. If nothing else, today should be an exciting episode for you because after this one, I'll finally be shutting up about The Electric Mouse because one of my most anticipated movies of the year has arrived in the form of Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Based on the video game that came to North American shores just over a year ago in March of 2018, Detective Pikachu features Ryan Reynolds as the voice of that cute electric mouse, Justice Smith as Tim Goodman, the 21-year-old insurance salesman, and Catherine Newton as Lucy Stevens, a junior reporter, and follows the story of Tim traveling to Rhyme City to take care of his now-late father's affairs. As he goes about his business, he is confronted by a Pikachu in his dad's apartment, and this sets off a series of events that leads Tim to try to track down his father, who he no longer believes is dead. Scott, I'll stop it there to avoid any spoilers. So to get us started, what did this movie do for you? Were you captured by the charm of Pikachu and the allure of Rhyme City, or did other aspects of the movie weigh it down and keep you from enjoying it as much? Yeah, so I mean, I think I've said this before when the movie has come up on the podcast, but I couldn't care less about uh, Pokemon, and so, I mean, you know, I brought that into the movie, and so, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt, because I I feel like most people listening to this episode probably are going to have more familiarity with Pokemon than I am. But with that being said, I, I should say I don't think that the movie should get a pass for not appealing to me just because I don't like Pokemon. As an example, I'll use Fighting With My Family, a movie that I loved from earlier this year, also about a topic that I couldn't care less about, wrestling, and it totally won me over. Uh, so I went into this with an open mind. I thought the trailers looked pretty funny. You know, you have Ryan Reynolds doing sort of a more sanitized version of his Deadpool shtick here as Pikachu. Um, so I was like, you know, maybe this movie won't be for me, uh, but, it, you know, it looks like they are at least trying to market it as, you know, this can appeal to everyone regardless of whether you are a Pokemon fan or not. And I think... 
To some degree, that is true. Uh, I think like, you know, the central plot arc of Justice Smith trying to locate his father um, is not, you know, something that you have to have any sort of background knowledge of Pokemon in order to follow. Uh, but that being said, they do get, you know, into the weeds a little bit with some of the ethics of Pokemon training, shall we say, um, in, you know, that that's sort of the direction that the plot goes in. Um, without saying too much, but I think it definitely does help down the stretch if you have a connection to these little monsters, whatever they are. Pocket, pocket monsters. Pocket monsters, yeah. 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 Uh, and I mean, you know, so first of all, you know, you, you combine the fact with that I don't know anything about Pokemon to what I've said before about not getting like emotionally connected to baby elephants, as an example. Um, Transformers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that this movie was kind of doomed from the start for me. Um, and, you know, that's not a bad thing because not every movie is for every person. And this movie, I think, is just not for me. I, you know, there were some parts that I enjoyed. I think Ryan Reynolds, he does that Deadpool thing. It goes a long way in some scenes. And in other scenes, he kind of wears out his welcome, you know, kind of like he does in Deadpool. Uh, but there were some good laughs in the movie. Uh, I think that Justice Smith is pretty good as the protagonist, um, Tim. And the animation uh, design, the Rhyme City, which you know looks a lot like Tokyo, but it's still really cool render, is is rendered very in a very cool way. Sort of adds to the, I guess they were they were kind of going for a film noir feel a little bit in the movie, and I think that the the setting is probably the thing that most clearly um, you know is rooted in film noir and is the most successful uh, sort of um, reference to film noir that we have in the movie. Uh, but I think if that's what they were going for, they didn't really accomplish it. Um, and I yeah, think it's like a weird combination of Detective Pikachu's vibe is supposed to be, you know, I mean, of course, half comedic relief and, very and half film noir. Because like ultimately, like the the like at least the idea or the concept of, of Detective Pikachu from the video game is very like rugged. Yeah, uh, and I think that they kind they they do a nice little blend of that with a comedy aspect, a little bit more comedy with Ryan Reynolds as the voice than in in the video game. Maybe, but then you have Rhyme City, which is more like cyberpunk than it is right, yeah. <laughs> than it is film noir. Although, but, I mean, it's like a modern noir, right? We, we've sure. seen sort of noir type movies, like Blade Runner is a noir type movie, but it's set in a sort of cyberpunk environment. Uh, so. Can you say that? You haven't. Seen that, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I know enough. Yeah. But so, so I mean, I think if you're thinking about setting a modern film noir, this setting sort of makes sense. Totally. Um, but if they were going for a rugged feel to Pikachu, I'm not sure you really got that. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's obviously a choice by the filmmakers, right? Because I think they are trying to make a more family-friendly movie. So they've decided to go with a more jokey approach to Detective Pikachu. They brought in Ryan Reynolds, again, to try kind of do the Deadpool shtick. Um, but which for, he does well. For kids, which he does do well. Again, take what I say with a huge grain of salt because I think this movie is not directed at a person like me. But at the same time, I think the movie should try to shoot to appeal to the widest audience as it possibly can, and I don't know that it's going to really appeal that much to people outside of the Pokemon sphere, which is and, and admittedly a lot of people, but um, you know, some of us aren't aren't you know in that camp, and I think that if those people do even go to see the movie in the first place, they might come away a little disappointed. So that's kind of where I stand on it, but I know you come at it with a different lens. Yeah, you know, I think that this movie might reach a bit of a broader audience than you're giving it credit for. I think that there are a lot of people who probably will appreciate 
even if they have no connection to Pokemon, will then appreciate Pokemon or kind of fall in love with that really cute... I mean, Pikachu is really cute in this movie. Yeah, and I don't think you have to know, like, the mythology or anything. Yeah. You don't even really have to know that much about how Pokemon work. Yeah. But I think it helps to be connected to the characters in some way. Like, when Mewtwo pops up. I mean, I don't know what a Mewtwo is, so, like, sure. why should I feel a You don't remember from the original this? Pokemon movie? From that like, I have never watched. Yeah, I, it's been a while since Herman I've seen Kane's it. watched it, though. Herman <laughs> Cain. We won't get into that. But, yeah, no, I think that this movie does have some wider appeal. But I, I totally also understand how it's not it's not complete, and you, it, it kind of leaned into a little bit of fan service, especially in the back half of the movie, which you talking about you feeling less even less engaged for like the final act or so, and I think that that's when it yeah. leans into its its fan service the most, and and gives the most appreciation for those people who do come in with that that at least cursory background knowledge in Pokemon, and so I think that's totally a fair uh, thing thing to point out about the movie. Rob Letterman's not someone who's like done much recently. I, I think that, like, I mean, he's best known for doing something like Shark Tales. Uh, most recently, he did Goosebumps, which wasn't even, I mean, that was like four years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, so very different feel. But for me, I really enjoyed how cute Pikachu was. I thought Ryan Reynolds did a really good job for what he was tasked with doing. Yes, it, it maybe takes a little bit to get over the fact that he, you know, it is Deadpool in Pikachu's body or Deadpool's voice in Pikachu's body. But for me, that was I didn't find that too difficult or, or too impossible of a task. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have that much uh, of a problem with it. I also think just generally the movie looked amazing. So we talked about not just the, the Pokemon or, uh, or Pikachu being cute, although I think most, if not all, the Pokemon are really well uh, CG rendered, CG animated. Uh, but I also think like Rhyme City itself, the, the, even the countryside, which we get for a little bit, really beautiful uh, really beautiful animation and visuals in this film. The major beats of the story, which we'll get into a little bit later, I think the overarching thread holds together quite well, but I think that it breaks down a little bit in some of the subplots. For me, the, some of those didn't quite, uh, or I shouldn't say didn't necessarily break down, but left me feeling like something was missing or wanting a little bit more. And then in terms of the acting, I think that some, some of it was good. Like I mentioned, I liked Ryan Reynolds, what he did with his voice acting. And I think Justice Smith is good enough, but the rest of the cast might have left a little bit wanting more, particularly Catherine Newton's performance, as much as we liked her in Big Little Lies. I think that maybe she left something to be desired or left something on the table. And maybe that was less her acting and more the confusing character that was maybe written for her. We can talk about that a little bit more later. But at the end of the day, I think that I wish that I'd liked this movie more, but I did still like it. I still think I would recommend this. It's a hundred-ish minutes, and it's probably, if you want something that's really cute, that's going to be a different pace than, you know, Endgame, which everyone's been seeing a thousand times with the last two weeks, this will do it for you. But yes, it, I mean, to not hide the lead on a discussion that we'll have at the end when we go into this in more detail, I think this probably is the best, you know, movie adaptation for a video game, but I also wish that it had set a new bar a little bit higher than what it did, and that's kind of my general impression. I appreciate the the care that they put into the story just because I think they could have kind of just phoned it in and said, we're going to use this as a sort of comedic vehicle totally, for yeah. Ryan Reynolds' Pikachu. But I think that they've clearly thought about the story. They've clearly put some care into crafting various twists in the movie. Like, I'll say, I will raise my hand and say I did see the last, the final twist at the end, which we will talk about. Um, I did see it coming at a certain point late in the movie. I, I kind of thought that that might be where they were headed. Um, you know, it, they, they try to end it on a nice emotional note, and I think they more or less succeed with that. But again, I think that um, the story is something that, you know, you got to pay attention to it. It's not, it's not a 
they didn't phone it in and they didn't just use this as a one note vehicle for Ryan Reynolds. Um, and so I, I appreciate that. And yeah, the animation, as you said, is great. And I think, especially with the Pokemon, because especially because we got the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer before this movie. <laughs> and I think it, it, you see the clear contrast between the two. Uh, it's very obvious when you have the two there in pretty close proximity. So they did a good job with that. Yeah, that fur though. That fur on Pikachu. Those teeth. Uh, <laughs> well, oh yeah, for on, Sonic. On Sonic. Yeah, yeah. On yeah. <laughs> teeth. Uh, anyway, yeah. So you know, we talked about uh, at least a little bit already about some of these topics. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into now, but love to start with the Pokemon. Right, they're in some ways the star of this movie. As much as you know, we see Jessica Smith and uh, Catherine Newton and hear the voice of Ryan Reynolds. It's the Pokemon and what they're able to accomplish, bringing those bringing those monsters to life that really is the ultimate uh, measuring stick for this movie, probably. And I'd just love to get your thoughts on what you thought of the Pokemon. Of course, Pikachu taking front and center in this movie, but what else? Yeah, you know, again, without my Pokemon background, I'm not sure there were a lot that made a huge impact on me. I do think that Psyduck was kind of funny um, <laughs> as Catherine Newton's sidekick. Um, he's kind of the Groot of this movie, just walks around saying the same thing over yeah. and over again. I was going to make a letterbox joke that if you're currently watching Game of Thrones and really like Hodor, boy, do I have yeah. a movie for you. There you go, Hodor, yeah. And I mean, yeah. that's another example right there. So I thought he was funny, you know, didn't need to have any sort of background on the character to, to appreciate the humor there. But, you know, other things we see is it Charizard in the battle scene yeah. uh, in the Pokemon ring, and then Mewtwo all plays a pretty pivotal part in the, the plot. I've heard the name Mewtwo before, so I know that when yeah. Mewtwo pops up in the movie, like you probably had a reaction to it, and other mm -hmm. people who, you know. Well, we saw it in the trailer, so it wasn't a surprise. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. For it, but of course, knowing that this Pokemon is a big deal, I think is a, is a part of the movie. Right, so, I mean, I think that ultimately the, the Pokemon that grabbed me were the ones who were gonna make me laugh on a broad level, and that was Pikachu and Psyduck. So those were kind of the standouts for me. No, that, that makes sense. And I, I think that for me, ultimately, that's probably the, the right answer, too. There aren't that many more Pokemon who get that much screen time. I mean, I don't think it'd be, there's much of a point to just like rattling off all the Pokemon that I recognized in the movie because I'll just be kind of a That'd dumb be exercise. A weird flex, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, it wouldn't even be that much of a flex because I didn't really recognize as many um, oh, yeah. that as, as most people probably did who are more familiar with the franchise. Because as much as I played Pokemon, you know, through the first couple of generations when I was growing up, I haven't played one in a while mm -hmm. for the last few generations and so any pokemon that were there i was like yeah i think i recognize this as a, as a thing that definitely exists in the universe right. but i'm not familiar with it but no totally i recognized mewtwo i had a reaction to that especially when the trailer came out with pikachu uh of course the you know the pokemon that in some ways started it all at least for the anime tv show pikachu is, is great uh, absolutely adorable uh, i don't think they could have i don't know if they could have done a better job with that i think that psyduck was an interesting choice to be kind of the secondary comic relief for this movie, really, because I don't recall him ever being used in that way before. And uh, but I thought he was an interesting uh, foil for the for for Lucy, which is Catherine Newton's character, mm -hmm. who someone who we're going to talk about in a little bit, but someone who I think takes herself very seriously and wants to be considered this very serious person and, and this kind of big deal or whatnot. And then you, you have a Psyduck there who's kind of anything but a big deal. Uh, yeah, so there's, some, there's definitely some fun to be had with those two characters and, and the dynamic of those two characters I think was surprisingly really good. Uh, I didn't know quite how the Pikachu-Psyduck combination would play out. I thought it played out quite well. And then, of course, they give you the, the you know, I don't know how many, but tens if not hundreds of other random Pokemon that they've designed for, you know, and, and rendered in CG throughout the rest of the film. 
So to move on now to some of the performances, we'll, we'll start with Pikachu still and Ryan Reynolds. Scott, you mentioned that you know he's doing his Deadpool shtick here. Does he? I mean, does is that Deadpool shtick good for this movie, or do you think that another direction, with or without a different voice actor, might have been better? No, I think it is good for this movie because it does. You know, the the jokes. You don't have to be a Pokemon fan to appreciate humor, and so I think that's one of their vehicles. Yeah, you do. No, that's one of their vehicles for reaching people like me. And you know, I think the the Ryan Reynolds shtick, like people, some people love it, some people hate it. I think. It's very know, polarizing. It, I mean, and it's it's easy to see why because it is just nonstop jokes. Like for the first hour and a half of this movie, well, that's almost all of it. But for for the first hour, hour and ten minutes, every single thing Pikachu says is a joke. Like, or it is supposed to be funny. And so I think it can get tiring at times. And I think all, it really just boils down to: Are the jokes funny or not? Right? Like, if if they're landing, then you don't really care as much. If they aren't landing, then it's like. Please just give me some breathing room for a second, and I think that's when you go to the bathroom, Scott. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. not. I mean, they don't. They certainly don't land every single time. But I think there are as many hits as there are misses, which I think for this type of approach is is a good ratio. Like I think that Mark Kermode, who's my favorite movie critic, he calls it the six laugh test. If a movie makes you laugh six times, uh, then it's sufficiently funny. Um, and I think that this movie accomplishes that. Granted, most of my laughs were in the Mr. Mime sequence, which, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give it away is my favorite part of the movie. Um, it's, and it's really a shame that, that almost that entire sequence is kind of shown in the trailers. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, but there were some good chuckles throughout the movie, and most of them do come from Pikachu. And so, yeah, I think it's a good approach because it gives parents who are probably going to be taking their kids to see this movie something to hold on to, too, because they, you know, I'm sure they know the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool approach. So they're going to look at this and say, hey, you know, this is the same sort of thing. You know, maybe I'll find this funny as well. Yeah, so it, it pretty pretty much worked for me, mostly because the writing was strong enough to where the jo- most of the jokes landed, or a, a good proportion of the jokes landed. Yeah, no, the, the jokes is definitely where this movie uh, goes for quantity over quality. And uh, some of them still are high quality, like you mentioned, but definitely not all of them. And I found myself kind of wishing that I'd laughed at more of the jokes, but still, to your point, feeling sufficiently uh, satisfied with, with the jokes that I did laugh at by the end of the movie. And Ryan Reynolds, for me, I, not to hide the eight ball here, I think he's great. I don't mind him at all. And I, I like his approach to humor and what he's done with the Deadpool movies and now with Detective Pikachu. But I also know that he, as a voice actor in these kind of roles, I mean, I guess he's not a voice actor in Deadpool, but because he's behind the costume so much in that movie, it feels almost like a voice acting role. But uh, I know that a lot of people don't like that approach, don't like him in particular, and find it kind of, not necessarily repulsive, but definitely a turn off. Yeah, Yeah, uh, annoying, definitely extra, some people might call it. But for me, it works. I really like Ryan Reynolds, and I really like what he does with this performance. I think he crushes it. The, the, I mentioned in my letterbox review that I thought the movie was paced a little bit weirdly, and that was because this movie is so like front loaded with jokes, and then kind of tries to get serious in the last fifteen to twenty minutes. Yeah. yeah, I think that is one of the downsides of this approach to comedy is that when you've seen such a steady stream of jokes for a large part of the movie, when the movie does ask you to you know take the character seriously or, or emotionally connect with them on some deeper level, it can be a little bit difficult. Uh, at times because you're so used to just seeing them with a non-stop, non-stop stream of snark. That's a good tongue twister. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, again, I, I didn't have a huge problem with it. 
Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to some other characters here. We'll start with kind of the other lead role. That's Justice Smith playing Tim Goodman, the 21-year-old insurance salesperson that I mentioned at the beginning. Who The insurance salesperson was more just a joke that I added in there because it's not relevant at all for the plot. But what did you think of Tim as a character? What did you think of Justice Smith's performance? Do you think he was the right fit for this role? Or did it leave you wanting more? Well, with regards to the character, I don't know. I'm just a little confused about his relationship with his father, which really does make up the heartbeat of the film. I mean, we're supposed to care about him finding his father, and clearly he he is affected by his father's, you know, presumed death and, um, you know, the, the fact that his father has gone missing. But at the same time, he hasn't seen his father in years. And we don't really get a lot of info on, you know, what caused the split, um, or anything really like that to give us some insight into that relationship or we don't really you know it's obvious that he doesn't like being an insurance salesman and you know we hear from the detective played by Ken Watanabe at one point that you know he wanted to be a Pokemon trainer when he was younger that, but we don't really know why he abandoned that why he decided to go down the path that he clearly does not enjoy of being an insurance salesman. I think it's because his mother died. I think I life. Still, took, I think I, I think they try. They want you to take a lot of a lot of plot leaps there, yeah. and develop and character development leaps. But I think his father moved to Rhyme City and threw himself into detective work because his mother died, and Tim felt kind of abandoned by his father and um, kind of headed down this different path, this path away from Pokemon and, and toward you know his grandmother and being the normal life or whatever. After his mom died, to me, I think that's it's not a ridiculous jump but i think it's more of a jump than it needed to be they could have done they definitely could have done more work to get to take you there but keep going you know you're probably right and and, you know i i just think that you are kept a little bit at a distance with this character and justice smith as far as his performance goes i don't think that he necessarily does anything wrong i just think that he doesn't have it he doesn't have the x factor right like and this is the second franchise which has really sort of tried to make him the guy like we saw it in jurassic world also and He's fine. He's a competent actor. Um, he Again, he didn't really do anything wrong here. He just doesn't have that intangible thing that it takes to be a leading man. And I think the part which I've enjoyed him in the most was when he was in Paper Towns playing one of Nat Wolf's friends, like in a supporting role. I think he's a lot better suited to that sort of role. Um, you know, nothing against him, obviously, but I think he's just not really, at least not at this point of his career, cut out to be the guy who you can anchor this franchise on i i mean also like what 23 year old can anchor a franchise at this point besides like sharshi ronan maybe yeah yeah you're right you're right again this is the second time we've seen it and i i think uh they should go in a different direction for the future yeah i you know i like justice smith enough and that's about as much as i can add like i think that again next to ryan reynolds it's clear they're not i mean to me it was at least it was clear it didn't feel like they were on the same the same tier of performances I think that, yes, I mean, we'll talk about Catherine Newton in a second. Yes, I thought he was better than Catherine Newton, but, like, if if you put, you know, the vast majority of other performances that we've seen in, in lead roles this year, especially in franchise films, I feel like we've seen better performances. And I don't want to, you know, hit him too hard because I think, like you said, he it's good enough. I think that there's probably more that could be done with the character development aspect of his character, and some of that performance may leave me wanting more uh, both because of his performance, but also because of that character. I think that for me, the movie, like I've already kind of alluded to, does ask you to take quite a few jumps in the development, not only with, you know, okay, where, where does this character come from, but also, you know, at what point in the movie does he actually start caring about his father again? Yes, we get the one scene in the apartment where he finds the birthday 
card that his father was going to send him with a ticket to the city that showed like, oh, he does care. But like, I don't know that what, like finding that one card, does that really get you there? And I often felt like maybe like his character, Justice Smith felt, you know, quite apathetic throughout a good portion of this film, especially early on in the first half. And again, I think that yes, some element of that is his character and him being apathetic toward his father. But at some point we, we were, that was like supposed to change and he was supposed to care about his father. And that performance didn't feel like it, it changed as much as his character did. Well, yeah, and I, and I think that his relationship with Pikachu, you can almost say the same thing because he's very anti-Pokemon, like at the start of the movie. Like, he doesn't want to have a Pokemon uh, sidekick or whatever. And then, you know, he meets Pikachu, and he just it just seems like he comes around, like, warms up to Pikachu in, like, the fullest extent to the point where he's, like, crying when Pikachu's in peril. Baby. It, it, it's, it's a very fast uh, turnover, it, it, and I, it is I a don't fact. know that it really worked yeah. for me. And yeah, and to your point, like it is a fast turnover, and there are definitely situations where we could understand fast turnovers. Yeah. I just don't know that this movie crafts one where Tim's character develops a good enough arc to understand where the, why the character got to the point that they were at. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Catherine Newton. Let's talk about plays Lucy Stevens, a junior reporter who you already mentioned. Her Psyduck is pretty good comic relief in this film. Uh, a character that I mentioned all the way back earlier, we were talking about general impressions that we really liked from Big Little Lies, which is of course HBO TV show coming out with its second season. Uh, later this summer, but what did you think of her performance in this movie? Not an ad. Um, yeah, I think I it's not HBO. If you do want to pay us for advertising, yeah, that's fine. I mean, true, but um, I think I agree with your comments up front that I think she's probably a little bit miscast here. Um, she's trying to play this sort of like whip smart, like confident, like Girl Friday type reporter who's like, uh, you know very very confident and like she she's on the case right I, i've got the scoop and you know the, the yeah. classic sort of girl friday um and she doesn't deliver the lines well enough i think to to warrant this type or to, for us to buy into um her as this reporter character from her very first scene you know she comes in like in the shadows she walks down these stairs and like you know it's meant to be a big reveal or whatever and she's going off in this like really fast like you know, lightning fast, like monologue, like you would get in one of those old Hollywood, like newspaper movies. And it just falls really flat. I think I, you know, I didn't really buy into the romance, I guess, that's supposed to be going on between her and Justice Smith's characters. Um, I think that she's fine. She's fine actress, as we said, from Big Little Lies. Um, But this role probably wasn't exactly right for her. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned romance, but like, it feels like they're pro- like that probably was what they were going for. But like, I don't know. You never really see it in the movie, other than like the jokes that Pikachu's making about them. And yeah. and he says like at times he's like the woman I'm very attracted to or something. Oh, yeah, like, that was a bad. Line. I was like, we haven't, we don't like, we haven't established this at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. why are you attracted to her? Like, I don't even know. Yeah, well, like, you know, that's probably fair. I don't want to pile on too much onto her because she's been good in other things that that we do enjoy. But for me, this performance was probably the weakest of, of, of the movie to kind of combine both the character and the performance. It wasn't, again, wasn't clear to me what exactly they were trying to do with the character. I mean, you mentioned this opening scene where she's trying to be very, you know, Girl Friday-like and be in charge and, and have these hard-hitting questions for Tim to answer about his father's disappearance. But then, strangely enough, I got this weird, like, I don't know, uh, Luna Lovegood vibe from like Harry Potter for her and other scenes. And that's like whimsical on the opposite of this yeah. Girl Friday approach. So I don't know if that again, and I don't know if like that's what you know Rob Letterman told her to, how to how to act in certain scenes or how to develop that character. But it was a weird contrast, and it made me think that 
the Girl Friday approach was her trying to you know, put on a facade and become someone she's not. But then that's such a large part of the movie that I don't really know then, okay, well, what actually, who is the real Lucy Stevens? Because by the end of it, I'm not even sure that I know. Right, and I, I mean, I like your point about how earlier that you made about how Psyduck is sort of like a good counterpart to her because she wants herself to be taken really seriously, but yet Psyduck is, you know, not taken seriously at all. Um, but uh, yeah, again, the, the the tone of the character is very inconsistent. Like there are times when she's very vulnerable and like that confidence, she, you see that confidence, uh, you know, has been dented by her superiors. But then, you know... Compared to Justice Smith's character, I mean, she might as well be like the Matahari. Like she's jumping through the hole, like uh, and while Justice Smith is like falling, she has like these fence cutters that she's just cutting right through the electric fence. Like she's supposed to be kind of a badass character, and it was just very inconsistent. And again, I don't think the performance did wonders for it. Anyone, I should say, anyone else that you'd like to mention in the supporting cast? There is Bill Nye who plays Howard Clifford, the disabled visionary behind the uh, behind rhyme city as a as a concept so this harmony between uh humans and pokemon and then there's also his son who's played by chris gear gear i'm not sure uh roger clifford suki waterhouse is a very strange small role in this in this movie as she's like the woman who's like the the enforcer kind of person oh i didn't even know that was her yeah suki waterhouse yeah rita aura is randomly the (laughs) the dot the scientist in the lab wow. in the opening scene. Okay. She's such a random yeah. uh, roles, which clearly did not strike you very well. Well, Rita Ora, <laughs> I mean, you know, her pop music career never took off like people wanted her to. She never became the next Rihanna. Uh, so now she's doing what Rihanna has done and, and just acting in movies based on video games. But I think, you know, Bill Nye, he, he adds gravitas to any role that yeah. he takes, but I think there's only so much he can do with this type of a movie. Um, and... He's not really given enough screen time, I think, to to cut a memorable character. And I think you could probably say the rest, this, the same about the rest of the cast. You know, judging by the fact that I didn't even realize that Suki Waterhouse was in the movie, there's really not much for them to do there except play either like pieces in moving the plot forward or like pretty broad stock characters almost. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. All right, moving on to the plot here, Scott. There's a lot of twists that happen, especially in the third act of the movie. I think there's like three or four if we if we counted them up. But before we talk about the plot twist, what I mean, what did you think of the development of this movie? We talked about how the leaps in character development was something that we thought could have been better, or at least better bridged across the different points. Did you feel the same about the overarching narrative of the movie? Yeah, I think if you probably look at it from a logical perspective it probably holds up fairly well in terms of, um, you know, the clues fitting together and all of that. I, I don't think that there was any major plot holes that jumped out to me. Well, so there, there is one thing, actually. There when is. we get to the twists, we'll hold off for it's a big minutes. spoiler, so I'm not going to say it. But th- there is one thing that I'm very confused about. But other than that, I think it, it kept me engaged. I, like, I was at least interested to know what the you know, solution to the mystery was, which is what you want in a mystery movie. Um, but it definitely did not have the hypnotic pull of something like searching. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think that the the movie, at first, uh, I wasn't quite sure what, what direction it was going to go. I played a little bit of the video game, so I had a sense of at least how the plot was going to start. But they, they obviously took some creative license, as they should. It's an hour and 40-minute movie versus a 12-hour video game. And I thought that it went well for the most part, starting out. And then when you got to these these spoilers in the 
you know, second, late second, third act of the movie, that's when I, I was much more entertained, I think, by the plot. Yes, I ultimately did see the final plot twist. I, I even think it's like not even the most significant plot twist because, uh, I mean, it's kind of just tacked on for emotional, for the emotional impact at the end of the movie, as opposed to like a, a legitimate plot twist, which I think does happen in, uh, you know, midway through the final act of, of the movie. And for me, I think we will take the gloves off now, talk some spoilers here. So if you haven't seen Detective Pikachu and, and you want to maybe just flip forward now to the, to the news section. But Scott, you know, we talked about these plot twists. The first kind of being uh, that Mewtwo is not the one who essentially sends uh, Tim's father's car off the, off the bridge. It's in fact the uh, overpowered Greninjas from, from the scientific site that uh, blow up Tim's father's car. Uh, Mewtwo, in fact, saves him. And this leads to the second, that it's actually Howard Clifford, who is the one behind all this, not his son, uh, Roger. And Howard takes over, developed the R serum or the R gas, and is using it to essentially make Pokemon go crazy so that they can then be, uh, so that the soul or the mind of humans can be put into their Pokemon and, and kind of fused and then the, you have these humans controlling Pokemon. And he does this in a very dramatic scene with Tim. And for me, that was the plot twist that I, I actually really thought that was a good plot twist. I didn't necessarily see that plot twist coming. That wasn't immediately apparent to me. Whereas the last plot twist, just to go ahead and lay all the cards on the table, the last plot twist, of course, being that the voice that Tim is hearing that is imbued within Pikachu that only he can hear is, in fact, his father's voice because Mewtwo had fused his father and his and his father's Pikachu together erase his memory and sent him to go bring Tim to Mewtwo essentially, and that was a very uh, interesting plot twist that I didn't see coming. And this is where you had the biggest problem in terms of a plot hole. Well, yeah, I just don't understand how he wouldn't recognize his father's voice. Like I, I know that we're supposed to believe that they have been separated for a certain amount of time, but there are certain things you don't forget, and I feel like your father's voice is probably one of them. I saw it coming at the point where Bill Knight was doing the mind control thing on Mewtwo and like you, he could understand the Mewtwo talking. I was like, maybe there's something here in terms of like his thought. The, the fact that he can understand Pikachu's voice is because his father is inside the Pikachu, which is. Yeah, I, I kind of, I started to wonder about whether or not that was the direction it was going to go when they just refused to show his father's face in like every yeah, single it's scene. it's like he's turning it I was like, it's going to be away. some yeah. big reveal yeah. at the end of the movie who his father is. And it's Ryan Reynolds. And it's Ryan Reynolds, yeah. But uh, uh, as far as the other plot twists, like, I don't think that they were like out of left field or anything. Like, I think that you know, all the pieces are probably there, which is good for a plot twist. But, like, even when that, at the Howard Clifford reveal, I wasn't really like, oh, man, like, that's so clever. Like, I can't, can't believe that. I was, like, yeah. blown away or anything like that. Uh, like I was in, again, you know, it's probably not fair to hold it up to searching, but it's just, like, the last <laughs> yeah. mystery movie that we saw. Our number one movie mind. of 2018. Yeah. But we both gave it to him. It's, like, the last movie, that mystery movie that we, you know, saw, really. Um, yeah. And so I think that... It has better plot twist than Glass, to put it that way. But I think that it, they don't grab you in the way that a good plot twist should. Rob Letterman's no M. Night Shyamalan uh, in, in a good way in, the, in the, for this plot no twist. Anish Shaganti. Yeah, Anish. Uh, can't wait for his next movie. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, I think the plot... I mean, I've already talked about this. I liked... I, again, I wasn't blown away to that standard, but I was like, oh, coming from a point in the movie where I was like, I'm not sure whether narratively this movie's ever really going to satisfy me. Like, yes, I'm enjoying the jokes and the, and the plot holds up, 
but I wasn't wowed by any part. The part that I was wowed the most by was this twist because I thought that they could have really messed it up and, and, and then ultimately the direction they went, or they could have just not have done a twist at all, I guess. But the direction they ultimately went was satisfying, and I was like, okay, that's clever. It's not like, oh, that's mind-blowing, but it did enough for me to, to keep me entertained and engaged in that movie, especially for the final 10, 15 minutes where that final plot twist plays out. Yeah, I agree. Awesome, Scott. Any other thing you want to talk about before we enter our wrap-up phase? Uh, let's wrap it up. All right, Scott. We already know your favorite scene, but I'll let you say it again anyway. Yeah, the Mr. Mime scene is really funny. It starts off the part you see in the trailer, uh, you know, where he's like outside the nightclub or whatever, and he's riding the, the motorcycle and it crashes and, you know... Uh, it's a very theatrical sort of injury. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but then he goes in and there's an interrogation sequence where Justice Smith is like pretending to pour gasoline and light his little box on fire and everything. And it was very, it, it was like one of the, the few moments of like inspiration I felt in the uh, like comedy. Um, and so I appreciated that because it was kind of a, an inventive and funny sequence. Yeah. And the whole charades thing with Pikachu trying to guess what Mr. Mime right, was yeah. saying was also uh-huh. very, very funny as well. What's the thing about something about cooking? Cooking is about the heart more than the recipe or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty funny <laughs> stuff. That, that's very, very funny. I've already mentioned this already, but I think that just the CG and it, like bringing the Pokemon themselves to life was such an amazing part of this film. And so seeing Pikachu even though I'd seen him in trailers already, but seeing that Pikachu in the apartment for the first time, it was just so, so cool. And then that having that interaction between... Yeah. All right, Scott, let's put the score on this one. What are you giving Detective Pikachu? Yeah, so, I mean, again, if you're listening to this, you probably just shouldn't even put much weight on what my score is going to be because if you're a Pokemon fan, you're going to enjoy this movie more than I did. I think I feel pretty confident in saying that. Yeah. Um, I just came into it at, at a distinct disadvantage. And so... Uh, for me, it does have merit still, but, uh, you know, a bit lacking. so 5.7. Okay, that's a little bit higher than I thought you were going to okay. go. Yeah, I, I'm going with a 6.4, so I'm not, I thought I'd be much higher than okay, you, yeah. but I wasn't that much higher than you. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, you must, even though you like the movie, you must be disappointed, because I know that you thought this had the chance to be one of your favorite movies. Did I jokingly, I did, I did say, I can't remember if I ever said it on the podcast, yeah. but I did say I could see this movie being one of my favorite of the year, but it's not going to be that. Yeah, well... You know, yeah. they can't all be winners. No, they can't. But, you know, Scott, before we before we do finally put a put a period at the end of this sentence, what do you think the potential is for this to become a franchise? Do you think that they've laid enough groundwork here for their next installment in, you know, Rhyme City or this, this Detective Pikachu world? They'll probably want a different cast, different characters, and different story. Yeah. But what do you think the potential is for this to become a franchise? I mean, I don't think they can really do another Detective Pikachu movie just because of the way that this one ends. You know, it's all dependent on box office, obviously, but I think that there is definitely a a potential here because Pokemon is a huge, I mean, it's hugely popular. Um, We saw that a few years ago when Pokemon Go came out, just how many people, at least, you know, for for a few months were very, very invested. I mean, yeah, there's still people who play the game for sure. And, but they're, you know, they've never really tapped into that uh, in film before. I mean, obviously there's TV series, but... There's animated movies. There's animated movies, but nothing like this, um, you know, to the, where you have big actors and, um, you know, trying to appeal to a mass audience. A big budget. I think this movie had over a hundred million in budget. So so I think that there is definitely a lot of potential here just based on the sustained popularity of Pokemon. Uh, Like new, new gen, there's Pokemon stuff for new generations and then there's people like from our generation who have that nostalgia mm-hmm. um, in the way that you and you know a lot of my friends do um, for Pokemon. So I think there's a lot of potential here. It will depend on the box office, though. Yeah, and I think, again, to reference what I thought was the most important thing for this movie, 
that the Pokemon themselves are really well done. Yeah. And they so they have those assets now. They have a proof of concept. So moving forward, and then you know, if a sequel, you know, whatever that might mean, whether it, whether it means it's a direct sequel or it's like an anthology type sequel, right? Whatever that means, I think if you get the, a good story, get it for like an original story, because this, you know, there are limitations to what they can do. It's based on a video game. There is it, it is it does have source material. So you, you create maybe an original story with like a good screen screenwriter, get a good script, you know, get another good director on board. You have the Pokemon assets already. And then you pull together the other things that you know maybe were a little bit missing in this film, and you could have a real winner, I think. Yeah, I think so. All right, Scott, I think that should just about do it for our discussion of Detective Pikachu. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll be discussing some big recent news and trailers. And then, of course, to Scott's favorite, we'll be talking some movie release dates. Movie release dates! Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, some recent news has happened. Actually, quite a bit of recent news has happened just in the last week. Uh, I'm always surprised by how much news happens in a single week. And I'm like, oh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. This happens every week. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so first up here, the Hellraiser franchise. Uh, you know, as a horror fan yourself, I'm sure you're very familiar with this franchise. But rumored to be uh, re- rebooted with Dark Knight writer David S. Goyer penning the script. What do you think? Well, you really set me up to fail there. Because even though I am a horror fan, I know nothing about the Hellraiser franchise whatsoever. Um, I haven't seen any of these movies Isn't before. it? Well, it's a slasher. It's a slasher. I think so, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen any of the movies before. I'm really not familiar with very much about them. But I mean, they are well regarded amongst uh, you well, know, horror the, fans. The original films, yes. Are they have like apparently they have like five to ten, like ten sequels. Well, that's every single like Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, like yeah. all of those big horror franchises. Star Hall- Trek, Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> they all have twenty sequels, and none of them are as good as the original. So that doesn't really surprise me. But I mean, David S. Goyer writing this, like that's awesome. Like I, you know, we haven't seen what he has. Could do in a horror um, context, I don't believe. But you know, based on his writing for The Dark Knight, I mean, you'd be you'd be crazy not to at least be somewhat invested in this because that's one of the best movies of the last twenty years. Twenty years, big statement. All right, all the way back to nineteen ninety nine. Sure, a twenty first century. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it earned it. it. No, it did. It definitely did. It's a great movie. And you know, kind of going off of that, in other superhero news, we we got talks that Richard Madden, of course, and Game of Thrones, Rob Stark in Game of Thrones, he's the lead role in Bodyguard, and will have a supporting role in Rocketman coming out later this month, is in talks to join Angelina Jolie at all in Marvel's The Eternals. Scott, is Richard Madden someone that's on your radar that you get excited about being in things, or is this just like, all right, the cast is filling out, this is great? I mean, I, 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 I don't watch Game of Thrones, I haven't seen any Bodyguard yet, I know I need to get to it, but um, he is on my radar simply because people have been talking about him as a name to get involved with it's some big franchise, um, whether it's James Bond, Star Wars, anything like that. Um, so this doesn't surprise me to see that. And the faith that a lot of people seem to have in him, uh, you know, to be the guy in one of these, you know, big uh, properties that are out there makes me think that this is encouraging. I mean, we, we've already heard some some interesting stuff about the Eternals. So I think this is just another uh, addition to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he makes the jump from TV to film sure. later that you know later this month when he when we do see him in Rocket Man, and if that goes well, why not? Why not have him be one of the lead people for for this Marvel movie and then get get him invested into the MCU? Yeah. 
All right, Scott, so we promised movie release dates right before we went to break, and so we're going to get those now because Disney this past week gave a huge update on their release window for the next couple years. I think even maybe three, no, not just three, more like the next decade because they did give some release dates way off in the future. But I think some of the big highlights things to hit were some new Star Wars movie release dates. What we found out is that Star Wars movies, at least uh, theatrically released Star Wars movies, are going to be going on a brief hiatus following Episode Nine later this year. But they will come back in 2022, 2024, and 2026. You know, there's maybe some speculation about, okay, will this be uh, will this be Ryan Johnson's trilogy, or will this be the trilogy from Benioff and Weiss? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be the Benioff and Weiss trilogy. Who knows when we'll see that Ryan Johnson trilogy after... I mean, I'm, I'm totally down for it, but after, you know, the, the backlash which The Last Jedi has seen... I'm not sure that Disney wants to be getting into that at this point. And so, yeah, I mean, we always knew that this was going to be a brief hiatus when they said that yeah. it was a hiatus and it's only three years. But, you know, I'm happy about that, obviously, because the more Star Wars, the better. And in the meantime, we'll have a bunch of stuff on Disney Plus, too, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and we already have The Mandalorian. Oh, well, granted, right. that, I think that's coming out even before Episode Nine And the Cassian but, Andor series. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah. So I think that Benioff and Weiss, though, I mean... That, I'm excited about any Star Wars movies that come out, you know, that uh, you can probably guess, but uh, Benioff and Weiss, with what they did with Game of Thrones, created, like, one of the uh, most popular and talked about pieces of pop culture, like, of the 21st century. It only makes sense to have them involved with something that is even a step up from what Game of Thrones has, you know, yeah. been able to do with Star Wars. So. Okay, uh, yeah, so we talked about the Star Wars movies. I'm of, I'm of the same belief that you know, at first I entertained the idea of it being Ryan Johnson's trilogy, but then I was like, no, this is almost definitely Benny Weiss. This is going to be a little bit more, you know, down the pipe, so to speak, for what I think what Star Wars fans are looking for, especially coming off the success of Game of Thrones. And for me, I think that for a while it, it makes sense that, that the hiatus is happening, even if it is brief. Just because, you know, maybe they thought with seeing what happened with the MCU that you could put out multiple movies a year or a movie every year, people wouldn't get tired. But I think something that we've mentioned several times on the podcast now, one of the things that makes the MCU so livable in is the fact that a lot of their movies are very different from each other thematically, tonally. Mm -hmm. Characters are obviously quite different from movie to movie, especially if you're you're getting standalone films. And so that's a major difference there because Star Wars, they're all space operas, right? They all have similar feels. And so you can understand why there might be some exhaustion there. And I personally like like the anticipation of having to wait all year or, or, you know, two years or whatever after a Star Wars movie comes out for the next one. It just makes them feel more like events, kind of like Avengers Endgame felt, whereas I think you can't say that about every single MCU movie probably. Yeah, that's probably right. All right, some other Disney release news coming out of this announcement was that we're going to have Avatar 2 coming out in 2021 and then alternating with Star Wars. So they'll be going 2023, 2025, and then finishing all off with Avatar 5 in 2027, Scott. I can see the anticipation on your face. <laughs> yeah, I, it's really just surprising to me that James Cameron, like he's, you know, he's getting up there in the years. He's not going to be able to make that many more movies that he's chosen to commit like the next... A decade. Yeah, decade of his life to, you know, a movie that... I'm not going to say there aren't fans of it out there because there are definitely fans of it. But I think he wants it to be his Star Wars or Star Trek or something like that. And it just doesn't have that appeal yet. So it's curious to me that, you know, a guy who has been responsible for some of the biggest movies of all time um, is, you know, buying into this so heavily because I just feel like unless these sequels, first couple of sequels are really, really good, the interest is going to wane 
Um, yeah, I by can't... the time 2025 rolls around, dude, we're going to be wanting that Alita Battle Angel sequel instead. I already want that Alita Battle yeah. Angel sequel. I mean, for me, I know this is a Fox commitment, not a Disney one, and so this is a this is a legacy from Fox. But can you imagine Disney greenlighting four sequels to a single movie with, that's an unproven franchise? Yes, it's the highest earning. I was going to say, for... I don't know that you could call it unproven, but... Well, no, unproven in its franchise capacity, yeah. right? So... And it's, we've had to wait so long, too, right? I mean, the yeah. Avatar came out in 2009. It's yeah. been a decade since it came out. Yeah, and it's going to be two more years now until yeah. until the next one comes out. Okay, yes, it is the highest-grossing movie of all time for the time being, for at least a couple more weeks, uh, if not continue. I mean, we'll see if Endgame passes it or not. Yeah. But to me, it is surprising that, like, when, when you announce four sequels and you put you know, hard release dates on four sequels. I feel like uh, Harry Potter, the Harry Potter, the Wizarding World franchise right now is experiencing that exact same problem of they announced four sequels to the crimes or to uh, the Fantastic Beast movie when it first came out. And you know what? The second movie wasn't very good. It sucked, yeah. <laughs> yeah like it just wasn't very good. And they're like, well, crap, <laughs> we're left with three more sequels. And they're sticking by that. But I don't know how smart that is. They've already had to push back the next movie. And for me, to your point exactly, it's not like we have... Uh, yes, I like David Yates. I'm excited to see him continue to develop movies in the Harry Potter universe, and he's done a great job with the ones that he'd done before this one. But for me, James Cameron, one of the greatest directors and visionaries of all time, committing so much of the time that he has left in his life. I mean, we're putting we're putting like an end date on James yeah. Cameron's life here, which is kind of weird. But after, like, the, after the quest for Awa is completed, he's just kind of keel over. <laughs> yeah, Awa is actually uh, the, the void. Yeah, <laughs> the, the afterlife. Great, yeah. Um, so, you know, James Cameron, you know, he, he's going to spend eight years. He's investing a lot of his time and a lot of his resources into this. And I just find that interesting that, one, he wants to do this, and two, Disney wants to do this. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if you get one or two sequels into this, they realize they're not very good, and they just ax the rest of them and do something more interesting. Yeah. I mean, At that point, though like they've already made all the other movies because they're like filming all of them simultaneously right, they're doing them all at the same time so yeah i don't know they'll just be uh cult classics for the internet or something <laughs> yeah digital really disney yeah. plus drops yeah. <laughs> yeah sequels to the highest grossing movie Drink of all time yeah. yeah exactly all right so a few other announcements coming off that disney plus news and that is one that we got a release date for the west side story which that's going to be 20 christmas 2020 and we also got a couple marvel release dates we have Know that there's two unannounced movie titles or unconfirmed movie titles for 2020 and then three in 2021 and 2022. So we know we have plenty more to come here in phase four. Yeah. Does that get you excited? I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I guess the question now is just, you know, which movies are they going to be? I mean, we have an idea of what all of the movies are going to be, but just when are we going to get which movie? Um, I mean, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is probably going to be on the earlier side. of. You think so? Yeah. Just because I think... That movie's probably not even going to film, though, until next year. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just feel like people are going to want the continuation of the in-game. Oh, people and, definitely will want it. It's yeah. what they're able to accomplish, I, mean, yeah, I think. That's, that's true. Uh, yeah, of course I'm excited for it. After in-game, like, I'm, I'm very on board. And, and West Side Story should be cool, too. My understanding is that Steven Spielberg has been working on a version of this for a long time. Or This is kind of an adaptation that he's wanted to do for a long time. Um, and he's finally coming around to it. And um, the cast is kind of other than Ansel Elgort, who's playing Tony, I think, is just a bunch of sort of nobodies who are who are more musically talented. So that should make for a good you know, experience, I think. Yeah, I, my, I'm of the opinion that for musicals, you really should get people who can sing and not worry about getting the first-class acting talent. At Russell Crowe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> just yes. All right, Scott. So last thing here out of the Disney release dates, we got an update on the New Mutants 
there was a big question mark about whether or not they even put this out into and, and give it a theatrical release. But it has a release date. It's April 3rd of next year, April 3rd, 2020. I'm of the opinion that this is actually a really good sign. They're giving it a concrete theatrical release date. They're giving it enough time to do the reshoots that they need to do. Uh, granted, okay, will those reshoots happen? I don't know. Like, will Disney fund those reshoots? That's a that's a big question mark there. But it has the potential, I think, to write uh, the ship and make this movie a good movie. Still, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm not going to say I'll be surprised if we ever see this movie, but I won't be I won't be surprised if we don't see this movie um, ever get ever be released. I think that. Um, maybe they'll wait to see sort of how Dark Phoenix does um, in terms of how it, where interest is. Obviously, that's not Disney, but where interest is in the X Men franchise because right now I I, I, don't, I feel like it's low, but I I just don't know. Like I'm probably just basing my own experience of not being really very excited for um, Dark Phoenix, um, not really feeling like there's a lot new going on in the X Men. Um, universe until they can find some way to tie it into the MCU, and I don't really think that New Mutants is going to be that way. Yeah, fair enough. We'll see that it's probably not going to get ultimately tied into the MCU, but maybe, maybe. It's possible. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Scott, let's change gears. Let's hit the trailers. We had two huge trailers that dropped this week. One more minor one, but one that I think that we're equally excited about. So why don't we start with one of the big ones and end with one of the big ones. Let's start with that Marvel trailer, a spoiler trailer. We had Tom Holland appearing in front of it to tell everyone, if you haven't seen Endgame, don't watch this trailer. That's because there are big Endgame spoilers in the second Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. Scott, it's clear from this trailer that we're going to be dealing with the aftermath of Avengers Endgame, and that's something that gets me really excited. Did it get you really excited? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... It's interesting watching this trailer because we, on our last episode, we talked about maybe who was going to lead the MCU going forward, who was going to be that person. And at least from this trailer, it seems like they're leaning somewhat heavily into that possibly being Spider-Man. There's a lot of talk about uh, how, you know, Peter's trying to be the next Iron Man, um, who obviously was sort of the de facto leader of the Avengers. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised by that just because we kind of thought some other characters um, might step in there. But... And, you know, we'll see when yep. we see the movie whether this actually comes to fruition. But it does seem like they're going uh, somewhat heavily into this, uh, at least in this trailer. The other takeaway that I have is that um, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, uh, they're, they're definitely trying to present him as being a good guy in this trailer. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of people are not buying it. And I, don't, I personally don't know that I'm buying it either just because we've never seen Mysterio presented in this way in any sort of Spider-Man property before. Yeah, Mysterio's always been someone who tries to, I mean, he does try to endear himself in this exact way. He like tries to present himself as a, as a good guy, but ultimately we know that he sets up circumstances for to try to make himself look good when in reality he's the one uh, behind it yeah. all along. And so I think that's definitely still on the table. I think that's what people think. It will be a big plot twist if he doesn't become a villain by the end yeah, of this really. movie, which would be really interesting if that's the approach they had. But I think the other big talking point from this trailer that we haven't mentioned yet is the multiverse. There are two questions I think come along with this, and I think the, fir the first one is probably more important to answer before the second one, and that is, do you think that this is a real tease for a real multiverse that's going to be happening in the MCU, or do you think Mysterio is lying? I think it's real. I mean, we've seen it in Endgame. I mean, we, we saw, you know, that they went back and created different timelines, stuff like... Uh, that's different, though, than... That's actually different than what they're doing here. They're talking about a real multiverse. There's like another right. Earth. In the timeline disparity, they've made, it, they've made it pretty clear in some interviews that I've read that a change in timeline is not the same thing as a different universe. So it's a totally yeah. different dynamic. Well, then I don't know. I don't know if I have any insight into that. Uh, I feel like 
we've already seen the best multiverse Spider-Man movie, so I'm not sure if they can even yeah. if they should even try that. I mean, that was teasing. That Sony yeah, Sony Pictures yeah. Animation was teasing. That I would love to see Miles Morales make an appearance in the MCU at some point. Though. Animated Miles Morales. Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> that would be wild. And Spider-Man Noir as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then the second question is: So I'm of the belief that I think it's going to be part of Mysterio line. Like, it'll, I'm not totally yeah. sold on that, but I think that. It would be wild if the MCU took a multiverse route because I think it's so difficult to do that well. And so my second question for you is, do you think it's a good idea that that if, if it is going to be a multiverse, do you think it's a good idea? I think they just have to be very clear about the way that they set it out because multiverses can be very confusing. Uh, and I think that what has been so good about some of the recent Russo Brothers efforts in the MCU is that they're very straightforward. And again, we know what everyone is doing, what everyone's goal is um even when we had sort of like the double nebulas for example in adventures endgame they did a good job of like you know delineating everything mm-hmm. uh so i think you're getting into somewhat dangerous territory if you do that but spider-verse showed that you can do it very gracefully yeah and we have every reason to trust uh kevin feige and the crew yeah, at marvel studios so. all right it's got second trailer the farewell starring aquafina this is one that is being distributed by A24. I'm not sure if it was produced by A24, but distributed by A24. And this movie's got, it looks great. Yeah, it does. And this was a fe- huge festival, darling. One of the most well-reviewed movies at Sundance. Um, and, you know, Aquafina, we loved her in comedic roles last year, Ocean's 8, Crazy Rich Asians. This is obviously a more dramatic role. Um, but with A24 behind it, uh, you know, we, it looks like a pretty standard family drama Uh but set it in Asian context, which is interesting. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it's something interesting. Something else interesting is that it's rated PG. So this is going to be a nice, wholesome movie. Yeah, um, a nice, wholesome tearjerker. Right? Yeah, a nice, wholesome tearjerker, which, you know what? I'm down for it. Yeah, I can't wait for this movie to come out. And my kind of really quick follow-up to that, and I think that speaks to your point really well, is do you think that this is continuing a trend started last year by Crazy Rich Asians of having traditional types of movies? So last year with Crazy Rich Asians, it was a rom-com. A traditional rom-com set in an Asian in an Asian setting. Do you think that's continuing the trend here with the farewell, with the typical family drama set in the Asian setting, and normalizing the fact that you know not every single movie that we get has to be totally whitewashed? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is what we're seeing, and I, I mean, I hope it continues. Like, because like we said, one of the joys of Crazy Rich Asians was that it was you're watching a normal type of movie, but with Asian characters, which yeah. seems like what the farewell is going for yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not trying to ham fist in a bunch of diverse characters right. just for the sake of diversity. You know, it, it, true diversity, of course, is a sign where you have a movie and you don't have to talk about the fact that you know X character was Asian or X characters were black, things like that. And, and we're moving on that route. Of course, we're still talking about it because it's a new phenomenon. But eventually, if these movies keep happening, we're going to stop talking about this phenomenon and just talk about them as normal movies. And that's totally the direction that I want to see come. Yeah, definitely. All right, final trailer, Scott, a big one for uh, those of us who enjoyed It Chapter 1 from a couple years back in 2017, and of course for you, a big fan of horror in general. Scott, this trailer rocked. I loved it. I loved the the vibe of this, that we get on an extended scene with Jessica Chastain in the opening portion of this trailer, and then of course it cuts to a more montage, typical trailer fashion of showing us a lot of different characters. But I guess to break this down into its two parts, what did you think of that first that first scene, that elongated scene with Jessica Chastain? Yeah, I like it. It's very creepy. Um, you know, she's having tea with this old woman. You, you, you get the sense that something is wrong. You don't exactly know what. 
and they do a nice job of building the tension even in a trailer. Like it's not something we see often in trailers where they just show sort of an extended scene from the movie, but I think it works really well here because they're able to build up that tension. Yeah, I was trying to put myself in the shoes of, of myself watching that trailer in a the theater, and I'm like, oh, I'm so here for this. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's going to be great. All right, and then in the second half of the trailer, you have this montage. You, you're introduced to the adult version of the Losers Club, and then you get some cuts with the younger version as well. What did you think of, of these other characters? I mean, we talked about Jessica Chastain briefly already, but you have James McAvoy as well as Bill Hader and then a, a bunch of other uh, cast as well. What did you think of, your, of the first look of this adult Losers Club? Yeah, Bill Hader is the one who stands out to me as, I think, really well cast um as i believe playing the older eddie who is jack dylan grazer's character um i think that that's a great choice um and i always love seeing snl vets get a chance at doing some dramatic acting because most of the time they're good um yeah. and, and you'll see will forte in Booksmart, and i love will forte in uh in nebraska, nebraska. so i think that um this is this will be a great part for bill Hader. and yeah i mean I, i'm excited for the rest of the cast as well awesome scott well, I think that will just about do it for episode 42 of Some Like It, Scott. Any parting thoughts you'd like to leave us with today? I, I thought long and hard about it, but you know what? I was like, I, I'm out for the summer. I don't, I'm not, I don't have to have thoughts anymore not for a couple <laughs> of weeks. So. Not going to talk about Houston? Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited. We're, uh, we're going to be, next, this time next week, we'll be there, I guess. Yes, we will. We'll yeah. be, well, you might still be en route. We'll be, we'll be about to go to Mark Ellis' comedy yeah, show. Absolutely. All right, Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? At Scarby Dent. All right, awesome. And I can be found at Shelton2013 over on Twitter. You can also find our podcast on Twitter, where we'd love it if you followed us over there at, at Media Plug Pods. And we'd love it even more if you checked us out on our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods, where there are a bunch of different reward tiers, depending on how much you're willing or able to pledge to the podcast. Uh, check it out. If you can only contribute at the $1 level, that's totally fine. You still get rewards. But check them out over there at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can't uh, or choose not to donate to over us on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts and on Podbean, or we'd appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us as well as subscribed and shared so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. All right, I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. Next week, we'll be back with the third chapter in the John Wick franchise, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. But for now, however, that'll be all from us. For Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.